greet you this morning in Jesus' precious name. It's because of him that we share. The title of my meditation this morning uh, is in the form of a question. Which kingdom within? I want you to think about that title as we go through uh, the message here this morning. Which kingdom within? You know, go to uh, Acts chapter 1. And uh, we've just passed through the Passover, Easter time, death and resurrection of our Lord, and where his love was so adamantly portrayed in his uh, sacrifice of his life, something that I have never physically had to do, sacrifice my life for another. Jesus did that for me. Jesus did that for all mankind. He's not willing that any should perish. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. As, as we looked at at the lives of Jesus and his disciples, the walk and talk that he, the conversations that he had with his disciples. You know, there was one thing that continuously kept kind of cropping up. And that was the thought of, of, of the kingdom that they thought Jesus was coming to establish. And uh, we see this here in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, uh, seemingly post-resurrection. And uh, verse 6, it says, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And uh, so even after all the things that had transpired, they're still seemingly focusing on that, that kingdom dimension. And uh, Jesus, of course, goes on and he says, But ye shall receive, uh, verse 7, And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But... Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. While they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. And I'll stop reading there. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. As I thought about that question, which kingdom within? And as I thought about the disciples, you know, uh, questioning that kingdom, uh, how this is all going to transpire, Luke gives us perhaps a little bit of an insight into it here. I'm going to break in reading at verse 20 of Luke 17 and read through the end of the chapter. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, Lo here, or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. And that's where I take my title from in the message this morning. The kingdom of God is within you. And he said unto the disciples, The days will come when you shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you shall not see it. And they shall say to you, See here, or see there, go not after them, nor follow them. For as the lightning that lighteneth out of the one part under heaven shineth unto the other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. But first must he suffer many things, and be rejected of this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. 
Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember, Lot's wife, whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. I tell you, in that night there shall be two men in one bed. The one shall be taken, and the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together. The one shall be taken, and the other left. Two men shall be in the field. The one shall be taken, and the other left. And they answered and said unto him, Where, Lord? And he said unto them, Wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together. Looking at this passage of Scripture, there are a number of things that I want to, that help us to understand God's kingdom. Uh, first of all, Jesus in, his, in verse 20 there, he answers the Pharisees' question. And uh, I don't know, uh, I was wondering what their motive was perhaps. Uh, you know, they seemed to be that they thought they were the channel through perhaps this kingdom would come. And, and you know, why didn't they know when the kingdom of God would be at hand? But, uh, so I'm not sure exactly what all their motive was, but I, I thought of this, perhaps he... Perhaps they heard Jesus' disciples' request to learn how to pray. If you remember back to earlier in, in, uh, in Matthew's account, Jesus' disciples said they'd like to learn how to pray. And so Jesus told them, he said, uh, I'll teach you how to pray. And included in that prayer, in the, what we know as the Lord's Prayer, that's part of that, that prayer, thy kingdom come. And uh, so maybe they, maybe they have felt like there's something that they need to attach to here, perhaps, that Jesus was teaching his disciples to to pray that that kingdom would come. Maybe they wanted to have an inside track. I don't know exactly. But uh, it could have been that motivation, perhaps, their remembrance of Jesus' dialogue with his disciples. But notice that in verse 22, Jesus really doesn't focus real long on the, on the Pharisees' question. He knew their hearts, perhaps, maybe what their motive was. Uh, again, I don't know. Why didn't Jesus build on it more? And uh, maybe he knew their desire was not genuine. I, I don't know. But we do notice, and he does switch the conversation to his disciples there in verse 22. And he said unto the disciples, The days will come when you, ye shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and ye shall not see it. And uh, I'm not exactly sure what Jesus meant through that. It says there in verse 20, when he talked to the, answered the Pharisees, he says, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. And I think one of the things we can conclude from that statement that Jesus made to the Pharisees there, and then picking up on the dialogue there with his disciples, well, how he responds to them is that the kingdom of God is not a kingdom with geographical boundaries, as we normally think of a kingdom. It is not bound by geographics. And, uh, you know, we must not think of the cause as, that, that the cause is lost because of its invisibility. It's... God's kingdom, God is building his kingdom. We have that promise. He will build his kingdom and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that's a promise in the scripture that we can, we can clutch to. We may not see the, the, uh, the visible evidence of it all the time, but I think God is continuing to build his kingdom. Again, I think, uh, concluding from the way Jesus answered the Pharisees answered the disciples here and talked to their disciples about the kingdom. I think the focus maybe rather than looking at the, at the, at the, the larger kingdom in, in general, I need to look personally at my own kingdom. That's really, that, that's the only person I'm totally responsible for. I have family. My children are all grown and gone. So in a sense, I've impacted their lives to, 
to the degree that I largely will, and I hope I can continue to impact my virginity through grandchildren perhaps, but uh, again, that's not my primary. I shouldn't be uh, parents' focus comes in place over grandparents' focus. May I say that in a charitable way? Uh, but again, I, I don't want to minimize that possibility or that likelihood. I hope uh, that impact can still continue. But, uh, you know, primarily each one of us is individually responsible for this kingdom, ourselves. And I think that's what Jesus is, is focusing on here, that uh, the kingdom of God is rather within individuals. And uh, we'll look at the, the, the impact of that later on here in the message. But uh, he gives us, uh, he talks about himself there as uh, I think he's referring to his uh, death and suffering here. Um, he says in verse 25, but uh, he, must first, he must first suffer many things, be rejected of this generation. And then he makes some comparisons there to the days of Noah, makes some comparisons to as in the days of Lot. And I, I think we're, according to you know, what, what Dwight's saying and what we talked about in the science of class, we're, we're there already. There's a lot of similarities to, to the days of Noah or to the days of Sodom and Gomorrah when Lot uh, was God rescued Lot out of there. And uh, it tells us there in verse, uh, verse 32, it says, Remember Lot's wife. And uh, you know, that's getting perhaps ahead of myself there. But notice it says in verse 32, he says, In that day which shall be upon, he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff. And that stuff stood out to me. One of the things that stood out to me is the fact that, uh, and it mentions the eating and drinking and getting married. Uh, you know, those are all things we do. Uh, and, you know, being married in the Lord is a blessing. Uh, and Dwight attested to that. It's, you know, we... we we, we do those things. We do many of the similar things that people of the world do. But, again, we need to question ourselves, what's our motivation? Whether it's eating, whether it's drinking, whether it's getting married. You know, what is our motivation? What is, what is our purpose? And uh, we want to uh, pick up on that again later. But I was impressed as I thought, uh, and we have stuff. Notice that. It says uh, we have vocations. We collect stuff. Uh, how much stuff is too much stuff? I don't know. I'm not here to tell you that. I'm not responsible for your lives this morning. But it's a good question to ask yourselves. You know, how much stuff is too much stuff? And uh, somebody's, I think somebody's concluded that the more frequently you move, the less stuff you, you lose. And uh, so uh, I, I haven't moved for 30, over 30-some 30 years. Maybe it's time for me to move. I don't know. But, you know, we do collect stuff. And, uh, but... Jesus says we need, we clearly, very according to verse 31, we clearly need to be ready to, to leave that stuff where it belongs. That stuff has no eternal value, no merit. We can use it, and if we can use it in building God's kingdom, that's, that's wonderful and that's great. The concluding verses of that account here in Luke 17, I think clearly tell us that God knows where his kingdom is. Maybe I may not see it. Maybe I visibly may not see it. But God clearly knows those that are his. Uh, it makes a comparison of two men, two women, uh, grinding two men in the field. And, uh, and he clearly knows those that are his. And uh, that's a consolation that we can rest in this morning, that God clearly knows those that are his. God knows those who are in have him enthroned on their life. And that's one of the things I wanted to mention is the fact that 
my life is, is a kingdom, and there is only one throne. Jesus' teaching there in the Sermon on the Mount said it's impossible to serve two masters. You cannot do it. You can attempt to, but you won't do it. There's only one throne in each of our lives this morning, and uh, we need to have God enthroned on that. If he is indeed, we are part of his kingdom, he needs to be on that throne. So that's the, that's the challenge of the uh, question of my title, which kingdom is within me this morning? Is it God's kingdom or is it, my, is it my carnal self-nature that is enthroned on the throne of my life this morning? I, I trust it is indeed God is enthroned on the throne in our lives. Turn back to Colossians chapter 3. I'd like to build on that idea of, of uh, God enthroned on our lives. And how can we know and how does it impact our lives? Colossians chapter 3 is a very practical chapter. The, book of, the whole book of Colossians is a very practical book. Uh, verse chapter 3 indeed is, uh, starts out, it says, uh, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above and not on things of the earth. Someone has entitled these verses, um, The Risen Life. It, it, we think it's talking about Jesus, and it is talking about Jesus. It says, if you then be risen with Christ, Christ is risen. We talked, talked about that last Sunday. I'm assuming you did that here as well. It was Easter Sunday. Uh, I uh, only conclude that uh, you, it was, you know, the focus was on the resurrection and, uh, or something related. But uh, we talked about the risen Lord. And uh, then Colossians here says, if you have been risen with him, there has to be a change in our life, the way we live. And that's what Colossians 3 indeed is all about. I wanted to read on further. For in verse, uh, verse 2, set your affections on things above, not on things in the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Verse 4 particularly, when Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. I like to think that's the, the culmination of uh, God's kingdom. And I think there's some future uh, truth to verse 4 there, focusing on that last thought in verse 4. Then shall ye also appear with him in glory. But I think there's a, there's a now dimension of that as well. And uh, that's what I want to primarily focus on here this morning. I want to look at this chapter in two parts. If we are going to live the resurrected life, you're, we're going to be risen with Christ and we are going to anticipate appearing with him in glory. There has, to be a, uh, there has to be something taking place right now, today in my life. There has to be a difference. Our life has to be changed. And that's what it talks about in the, the following uh, verses there. In verse 5 it says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Mortify very simply means put to death. We need to put to death those, that evil nature, that desire, those evil desires of the flesh. We need to put it to death. Um, God, notice verse 6, it says, for which, thing, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Not putting ourselves to death, mortifying, places us in... In, uh, in a position that God will deal with us, the wrath of God. And again, we sang about the love of God. Uh, it's unfathomable. We can't get our arms around that, our minds around that. 
We know he did it. We understand it to a limited degree. But on the other hand, can we understand the wrath of God as well? God's wrath is just. And, uh, you know, God for who he is, how great he is, and how knowing he is, can we, can we, uh, would we want to place ourselves in a position that we are in line with for God's wrath? I, I would certainly hope not. Uh, we can't, even our worst imagination, I don't think, can, can grasp the awfulness of placing yourself in line for God's wrath, as it mentions there in verse 6. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. You know, it's, it's sobering to think that each one of us has a, a never-dying kingdom within us. We have a soul, a never-dying soul, and it, it's how we, how we flesh out our understanding of the Scriptures, how we flesh out, how we live out uh, our understanding of the Scriptures makes a difference on where that eternal soul, that never-dying part of us, I don't, I don't see that part of you this morning. I don't see your soul, but I can see some fruit of that. Uh, and that's refreshing. That is refreshing to see people that, that embrace uh, truths as we understand the Word of God. It's, it's encouraging. And, uh, you know, traveling the other weekend, uh, well, last weekend and this weekend, you know, it, people watching, it's, it's, it's fun to observe people. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, you have time, you sit there and you observe where they're going. You don't know where they're going, but they're going. And, uh, you know, just their expressions on their faces, you know, you have to sometimes wonder what, What's, what's behind that life? And, uh, you know, what, what are they going through? But, uh, and again, we're just many times just passing. Sometimes we have a few words together. But, uh, you know, it's people. And uh, it's, in, it's a challenge to us to, uh, to uh, let our testimony have a testimony on our lips for them. So our, 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 your kingdom is... With your kingdom within is, is bearing some fruit externally. It's the thought I want to challenge you with. And uh, I'd like to uh, take you back to Romans chapter 8. Again, uh, Romans 8, verse 13 and uh, 14. Reinforce. Romans 8, verse 13. If we live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And uh, I don't know how much plainer you can make it than that. You know, if we are, if we are going to live after the flesh, you're, you know, death is a sure, uh, and it's not just a physical death. The righteous die. We know that. The Scripture told us that. But the spiritual death that it's talking about there is, 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 is dark and depressing. But ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body. You know, that tells me that we cannot do it ourselves. We need a power within us, God's power, God's Spirit living within us to enable us to rise above the power of the flesh. That's that endemic nature that we inherited from our great, 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 great grandfather Adam, way back to the fall man. We inherited that. There's nobody here this morning that hasn't inherited that endemic nature. We need the Spirit of God. And it's the Spirit of God... That portion of the Trinity that's on the throne of my, of our life, needs to be on the throne of our lives this morning if we are going to be led by His Spirit. And uh, the dimensions of that uh, are, are far-reaching. As we, and I want, you know, in Colossians 3, we'll move on to that. We'll see how some of the dimensions uh, 
you know, the far-reaching effects of that being led by the Spirit of God. So the physical is where the expression of the spiritual comes through. And it's uh, being displayed on the, uh, on the outside and in our relationships. <clears throat> looking at, uh, and I left my fingers slip out of Romans 8 here, but looking at uh, Romans 8 verse uh, 11, But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. And I want to emphasize that. It's, again, by the presence of his Spirit living within us that our mortal bodies can be quickened and be made of any uh, lasting eternal value. Now, our, our, our bodies will be changed in the resurrection or when the Lord comes to meet us in the air. They will be changed. Uh, but, again, we retain that never-dying soul. Going back to Colossians again, continuing there. Notice some of the things that it says uh, we need to put off. It says, uh, but now ye also put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communications out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. So the old man has deeds just like the spirit has, has works through our flesh too. Uh, just looking at some of those words, we understand them perhaps. Anger has to do with probably quick temper. It's, 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 the, uh, it's our first response. Anger is, is that which quick, comes to the surface quickly. Wrath, rather, I, I believe has the idea of slow, burning, boiling attitude within our minds. We, just, we roll it over and we roll it over and we get upset about it and finally that wrath boils over and it spills out on those around us. And uh, malice, so there's three different levels of, of expression here, that of anger, quick, wrath of that of, you know, boiling over. And then malice actually has the idea of, of a little deeper, uh, it has the idea of thinking and thought of anger within the mind. And we know that that cannot stay there forever. Scripture tells us that what's within will come out. And uh, malice is the third level of depth of, of carnality that will express itself. We... We let it, you know, we let that uh, anger and malice or anger and uh, wrath develop into malice so that it, it begins to be our thought pattern and uh, it will come out. And then the fourth thing is that of blasphemy, and that has to do with against God and our, also our fellow man, I believe. And uh, we think of, of being created in the image of God, our fellow man and ourselves. And uh, blasphemy has to do with that of of a lack of respect for God, who he is, and our fellow man for who they are. You know, to think of, of uh, mankind, and regardless of their debauchery and sin, yet God died for them. God paid the price for their redemption just as he did mine. And who are we to start measuring iniquity? We, we can't do it. It's not our responsibility. God is the uh, provider of salvation. Filthy communication has the idea of obscene language. Lie not has to do with the untruth. And, of course, we know who's behind lying and deception. It's Satan. And uh, certainly, uh, if the Spirit is living within us, you know, that lying and untruth need to be dealt with. The old advice still stands as we think of controlling our tongue. And, again, James tells us that no man can tame it. It's only, I believe, by the grace of God and the Spirit that that tongue can be tamed. But I think the old advice still stands. We need to ask ourselves, is it true, is it necessary, and is it kind, before I vocalize it and repeat it 
Is it true? Is it necessary? And is it kind? Again, that's just a, an old, but yet it's, it's, it's noteworthy. It's, it's something I need to check my speech with, my thoughts with. If we put our speech through this test, I believe we'll save ourselves and those around us probably untold told problems. Now, if we are going to appear with him in glory, those things have to be put on. I mean, put off, rather. But then he continues on in Colossians there, and he says, rather, we need to be putting on something. He says, put on there in verse, uh, I'll, I'll break into verse 11. He says, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness and long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of God, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now, I don't know. This is a checklist by which you can calculate your life this morning. Who is on the throne of your life, this, on the throne of your kingdom in your life this morning? You look at the first category of, of issues that it talks about. Uh, talks about fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affections, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. And then uh, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communications, uh, lying. Put off the old man with his deeds, but rather put on. And is that indeed what we are expressing through our lives? Are we, are we uh, expressors of uh, mercies and kindnesses, deeds of kindness and humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another? And uh, letting expressions of charity in verse 14. Verse 15, letting the peace of God rule in my heart. Is that, is that my testimony this morning? Is that what my life is exhibiting? Uh, I've said already that I think Christians ought to be composed people. Uh, and that's easier said than done. Sometimes we face circumstances in life that, that uh, challenge our composure. But I believe when we think of the peace of God ruling in our hearts, I, to me that, that talks about being composed. Uh, regardless of what, uh, what we may encounter. If we are indeed going to appear, look in verse 4 there, if we are going to appear with him in glory, we indeed need to be putting on these things. May God help us to, uh, to do that. I was impressed too. I, I want to pick up there in verse 11 just a little bit. You know, it mentions, it says, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, synth, bond or free. Christ is all in all. When we... When we have Christ enthroned on, our, on the throne of our lives, it destroys barriers. And I think there's four unique distinctions there. It destroys the barrier of Greek and Jew, which I think has to do with birth and nationality. It really doesn't matter who we are, what our nationality is. It destroys that. Being in Christ destroys that. It also destroys that which had to do with ceremonial ritual, the circumcision and the uncircumcision. And it also destroys the barriers which come from culture and learning. Uh, talks about the barbarian and the synth. And uh, it also destroys the barriers which come from class. That would have to do with the, the slave or free man. Uh, Christ destroys all those barriers, and we can be one in him. And uh, that's refreshing. It's our relationship with Christ that breaks down those relationship barriers. Remember I said having Christ enthroned on the throne of my life it affects relationships. Right here we have it spelled out.
I wanted to just mention the, it mentions all the positive things, expressions that need to be part of our experience with having the Spirit in God's Spirit, the part of the Trinity enthroned in our lives. That's, that's what we believe God has uh, given us. It's a comforter. Uh, he refers to it there in John. He refers to the comforter, giving us the comforter. Uh, notice uh, it, it mentions the idea of, uh, of kindness, and I'm just going to pick that one out because it stood out to me. The actual Greek uh, word there is krititos, and it, it says it's de- it describes it as a definition in Strong's as a lovely, or Vines, I believe it was, as a lovely quality. And, uh, you know, we like people that are kind. We like people that are considerate. We like to be around that kind of a person. And uh, Josephus actually went on to describe it further. He says it's a description. If you remember the story of uh, Isaac in the Old Testament that dug the wells. Was it Isaac? Yeah, I dug the wells. And they always kept coming to the Philistines. Philistines? Just kept filling them in or stealing one way or the other. I forget which way. There was one time they filled them in, right? Or, or did they just take them? Just took them. For some reason, I'm thinking there was a kind of time when they filled the wells in. Am I mixed up with the story there? Anyway, they kept taking the wells, and J- Isaac just kept redigging them, redigging them. And uh, Josephus says that's, that's what actually that word is tied to, that he actually, rather than fight, rather than resist, he just said, here you go, I'll dig another. The Lord's providing the water. The water's not mine. I dug the well, but, you know, you can have it. And uh, you think of kindness in a relationship, how that would impact relationships on a very, very broad level. Uh, to me, I thought that was impressive. Mentions the idea of humility there also in verse 12, just backing up there. And I need to ask myself, who am I without God or others in my life? You know, the Apostle Paul said, what do I have to share that I have not received from somebody else? Really? We're, we're beneficiaries of each other. And uh, most of all, first of all, we're debtors to God. Uh, it's because of him. and uh, But, you know, especially as I think of myself in relation to God's total program, who am I as a creature, uh, the created, in, 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 in relation to the creator, my God? I'm so small, so little, so insignificant. And uh, in relation to my fellow mankind, when I look at the basis of men, I can only say that it's only by God's grace that we are what we are. And uh, to him be the glory. Charity, it mentions in verse 14, is the bond of perfectness. I'd like to just pick up on that thought. Charity, as we think of God's Spirit ruling and, and enthroned on my life this morning, I need to be a dispenser of charity. Uh, you know, we have our unique personality differences. Uh, and as we discuss things, there's emotions, there's feelings, different ideas, different opinions. There's certainly nothing wrong with that. But you know, as we... You know, we need to ask myself, it's not my way, maybe not your way, but we need to focus on what God's way is. And uh, we need the grace of God. We need the charity of God to, to be able to say that and to live it in a, in a very real way. And then verse 15 will be the result of that. And it says, let the, word of, uh, let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which ye are called in one body. So then the body can function as a body. Prairie, Mennonite Church can function as a body. When we let the peace of God rule in our hearts, when I say not my way, not your way, but God's way, the peace of God then can, can uh, rule in our hearts. And again, if we, want to experience, if we want to experience the peace of God, it continues on there in verse 16. If I want to understand how God's peace works, 
I need to let the word of Christ dwell in me richly. I need to meditate on his word. God communicates to us through his word today, uh, throughout life. We need to pray. We need to meditate. And when we let God's word dwell in us richly, it, it helps us to understand the dimension of peace. helps us to understand the dimension of love that Christ had for us. Verse 17 is another test we can ask ourselves. Whatsoever you do in word or deed. You know, we sometimes say the Lord is risen indeed. Uh, and indeed he is. But you know, do you ever think where them, them deeds come from today? They need to come from my life and your life. Those deeds. The Lord is risen indeed. But if people are going to know it, they're going to have to know it through the deeds of my life. Uh, at least that's one dimension of it. There's more to it than that. But that, that's, that's a practical, real dimension of the Lord being risen indeed. And it's, it's through the deeds of his children. Through the expressions of Christ being enthroned in my life and your life as well. That's a test we need to put ourselves to. And we'll never go wrong. Well, it, it continues on there. It says, wives, submit yourselves. It says, husbands, verse 19, love. It's interesting that we just talked about the permanence of marriage this morning. And uh, this reinforces that. As we think of God being enthroned in my life this morning, it affects those day-to-day -day relationships. Uh, wives submitting. That's not my idea. That's God's idea. He says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as is fit in the Lord. And he says, then husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. And in the account that was mentioned, it mentioned... Uh, that Mark that read that about loving Christ, uh, we love even as Christ loved the church. I don't know, that was, yeah, that was you, wasn't it, in the devotional? Uh, the dimension of love that we need to have. And, uh, you know, that's always a challenge to me to think of as how much love Christ had for the church. Have I ever exceeded that? Have I ever excelled to that level in relation to my wife? Children obey is another dimension. Uh, obey your parents uh, in all things. For this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey. Uh, those are all horizontal relationships there. Uh, you know, if there's ever a world needed to see that fleshed out, it's today. And uh, who is going to do it if we don't do it as children of God? We need to do it now. Verse 23 talks about, again, uh, and motivation, who's, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Uh, that's our, that should be our goal, our motivation. We're doing it because of what the Lord has done for me. Well, verse 24 talks about a future, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. If he's indeed enthroned in my life this morning, we have a, a very glorious future to look forward to. It's a future glory dimension here that... I think is referring back to verse 4. We are going to appear with him in glory. There's a dimension of that portrayed today in our lives. But there's a future dimension that is going to take place that I can't describe. Romans 8 verse 17 tells us that we will be joint heirs with Christ, glorified together. Uh, what all that means, I'm not sure. Going to back to Romans 8, I want to pick up there in Romans 8 again. In conclusion, 
Romans chapter 8, verses, uh, breaking in at verses uh, 28, I believe it is. And this is a verse we often quote. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. Am I being conformed to the image of, of his Son? I trust that is, is what's happening. Uh, if we have the Spirit of God living within us, I'm, I'm going to be a, a looking more and more like the Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. Whom he justified, them he also glorified. We're talking about being glorified. What shall we then say to these things if God before us? Who can be against us? He that spared not his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also Freely give us all things. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Remember I said God was just. He's the one that measures the iniquity. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God? Who also maketh intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or pearl, or sword? As it is written... For thy sakes we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And that's referring to Jesus. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Only sin can separate us. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's the same love that we have today. That's the same love we were singing about in the song that Ryan led us. That love is, is here for us to experience yet today. Jesus has conquered death. Death is the final enemy of our physical lives. But we can experience eternal life through that victory that Jesus had on Calvary this morning. And uh, we'll experience a future glorification. Will you this morning experience that glory of being in the winner's circle, as we sometimes use that expression? Jesus has indeed made it possible for us this morning to be glorified in Christ. But again, there needs to be putting off, there needs to be putting on, and it will impact our relationships. Christianity is a very practical re uh, religion, really. And it needs to be visible, it needs to be seen. In many aspects, we don't see a geographical boundary of Christianity, but to see it but one kingdom at a time, one soul at a time. And to me, that's, that's reassuring and that's re refreshing to know that God continues to work in the lives of people today. He continues to call. He's not willing that any should perish. So may God be glorified today through our lives, and in the future there will be a, a future glorification that each one of us can look forward to if we allow him that uh, rightful place and we answer that question, which kingdom is indeed within my life this morning? Is Christ enthroned or is self and carnality on that throne?